Welcome to The Balance. I'm Catlin Tucker, and this mini episode is focused on the social-emotional learning skill of relationship skills. So in the past three mini episodes, we've talked about self-awareness, self-management, and responsible decision-making, and those fall under the umbrella of intrapersonal skills, those skills that we cultivate inside of ourselves. We've explored everything from managing emotions, practicing stress management, setting academic, personal, behavioral goals, evaluating the urgency versus the importance of particular tasks, weighing the benefits and consequences of particular decisions, and even reflecting on how actions impact ourselves and the people around us. And in this post, we kind of shift from that intrapersonal to the interpersonal, which requires a person to interact with others. And interpersonal skills include our ability to communicate with others, collaborate to accomplish shared tasks, engage in negotiation and compromise, manage conflict and listen actively, and try to understand another person's experience and feel empathy for them. So relationship skills are defined by Castle as, quote, to the ability to establish and maintain healthy and supportive relationships and to effectively navigate settings with diverse individuals and groups. So the relationship skills really include things like clear communication skills, active listening, the ability to work collaboratively with diverse groupings of people, engage in conflict resolution, and a willingness to compromise and really work as part of a team, to ask for help and provide support if somebody else needs your help. And to really help students cultivate these skills in a classroom, I encourage educators to ask the following questions. Am I explicitly teaching communication skills in this class? So for example, how am I engaging students in equitable conversations, teaching them how to respectfully offer different perspectives and what it looks like to listen actively? How often am I designing learning experiences that require diverse groups of students to work together around collaborative tasks? And how can I help students to resolve conflicts in a kind and respectful way? So developing relationship skills, this is really fundamental to creating or developing a healthy functioning learning community. And these positive relationships have a lot of wonderful benefits. Obviously, it helps students feel comfortable engaging with learning activities and each other. There are positive academic outputs and and outcomes. Um, It has a positive impact on the student's ability to adjust to changes in their learning environment and it positively impacts their relationships with each other and overall classroom management, which is something we're always trying to positively increase and improve in education. So in the corresponding blog with this short mini episode, there are three strategies that I describe in detail. So if you're curious about any of these, you want to do a deep dive, check out that link at the bottom of the show notes to explore some of this. So the first is really leaning on academic 
discussions and discourse to help students develop those key communication skills. When students engage in academic discourse, they have this opportunity to exchange ideas, ask questions, and really engage in the meaning-making process as a learning community. And anybody who's been a teacher for any length of time and tried to facilitate whole group discussions know that whole group teacher-led discussions are not equitable. Usually it's a handful of students who talk every time, they kind of dominate the discussion, and the rest of the class tends to be pretty quiet unless we're up at the front of the room kind of pulling responses from learners, and then really we're the ones doing the lion's share of the work in that setting. So we want to think about how do we give every student a voice in this class dialogue, in these academic discussions. And so typically when I'm coaching teachers, we'll explore two different strategies. One is synchronous small group discussion. So you have four corners in a classroom and there is a strategy I call just four corner conversations where you can randomly count students off by four, have them keep their number kind of on their fingers in the air, and then they go to the corresponding corner with other students who have their same number and they sit in a circle and they engage in a small group discussion. What I like about the random counting off is that's a great way to just make sure they're constantly engaging with different people and those diverse groups of learners for these conversations. I also love online discussions. So if you have a learning management system, you're using Google Classroom, posting a question online and giving students some time to think about the question, process what they're being asked, and then articulate a response. And you can do that in a text-based discussion, in your learning management system, or a video-based discussion using a platform like Flip, giving students a bit more control over the pace at which they respond to the question and interact with each other. Both of these are really wonderful ways, the small group dynamic and the online discussion, for really allowing everybody to have their voice heard and giving everybody the opportunity to contribute. In fact, even in my graduate classes, when I meet with students face-to-face, if we're going to have a discussion about a text or a TED Talk or an issue or something we're kind of diving into in the class, I will often give students the option. Do you want to go to the left side of the room and join one of these small group discussions, or do you want to stay on the right side of the room and log into our learning management system and post your thoughts online and engage asynchronously with some of the other folks in our class? That way, if someone's having a tough day, if they're an introvert, if they're dealing with something outside the classroom, they don't have to be thrown into a live discussion. Um, They have that option and hopefully that option helps to remove some barriers for learners. But the benefits of discussion include everything from feeling connected to a learning community, um, learning from others and being exposed to different perspectives, having the opportunity to kind of make connections between ideas and kind of contextualize what they're learning. It drives deeper thinking about topics and texts and videos and issues, which the more they talk about these things, the more likely they are to understand and retain what they're learning. And they can practice those either in-person, kind of face-to-face communication, speaking and listening skills, or those online communication skills, whether it's expressing yourself clearly in writing or in a video recording. And I think my favorite part of discussions beyond kind of building relationships and helping learners kind of navigate 
What does it look like to respectfully disagree, to build on somebody's idea, to compliment a strong point made? But it also shifts students from kind of being these consumers of other people's ideas to producers of their own ideas. And for anybody who hasn't done a lot with online discussions, I include in the blog post some tips for designing online discussion questions to boost participation and subtly differentiate um, the questions that we're asking. The second strategy is collaborative group challenges. And I know a lot of students do not like to work with others. It's easier to just put your head down and power through. I'm going to admit it. This was me as a student, very type A. I just knew I could get through it faster on my own. But there is so much to be gained from that social negotiation, from those interactions with others. And so at times, using collaboration and teamwork as vehicles to really develop these critical relationship skills, because students need those regular opportunities to work together around shared tasks, um, really kind of exercise those problem-solving skills, again, those that ability to negotiate, to compromise, to communicate clearly. And there are a lot of different ways that we can do this. So you can use a strategy like a jigsaw and have different groups of learners become the experts on a particular topic or aspect of a topic or chapter or section of reading, and then basically work together to kind of teach each other what they learned. You can use a reciprocal teaching strategy. Both of these are things that Dr. Katie Novak and I wrote about in our most recent book, The Shift to Student-Led. So if you're curious about how you engage students in kind of discovering information on their own and in conjunction with their peers, you can also check out that book. You can have them doing building background activities together, where they're investigating a time period, a person, a phenomenon, um, the changes in an issue over time and how it's perceived by doing online research, um, conducting interviews and working together to pull what they're finding into some kind of cohesive project where maybe or a product even just a digital document, a slide deck, an infographic, maybe an artistic timeline. And I also just love having kids wrestling with real world challenges that take the things they're learning in class and really allow students to apply them to the world beyond the classroom walls. So for example, I was working with a math teacher a couple of weeks ago, and one of the offline tactile stations we had students working on was using this really messy real world math problem from yummymath.com. And as they were working through this really challenging problem, it was actually right around the holidays, and they were trying to figure out for a particular dimension, did they have enough wrapping paper? And it was really interesting to observe these students kind of wrestling with this problem. And what do we need to know to solve this problem? And what measurements should we take? And what do we need to know about the wrapping paper dimensions as well? And so just some really cool challenges that ask students to apply their learning in kind of fun and creative ways to these real world situations. The third strategy is also a role playing strategy, which I talked about in the last episode, but it's really focused on conflict resolution. So conflict is unavoidable. And often in a classroom when there's conflict, we're so stressed as teachers to keep covering the curriculum, to, you know, keep up with the lesson we have kind of planned for the day that we often kind of might just skate over these moments and, and not really dig into what's happening and help students resolve them. But 
Conflict is unavoidable, and students bring their past experiences, their cultural norms and personalities and personal preferences into a classroom. And it is essential to help students build empathy for each other and learn how to resolve conflicts in a kind and constructive way. And I think role-playing exercises position students to be those active agents in the learning process and give them that opportunity to be creative and, and think about different situations and how they might respond. So in a conflict resolution role-playing kind of scenario, I would group students and first challenge them to write a scenario where two or more students encounter a conflict. Like, what is the situation? Who's involved, right? Our students are facing conflict every single day in their lives or seeing others in conflict. And so they are capable of drawing on their past experience in school to come up with a situation that might be a conflict they can relate to. Then you ask students to exchange their scenarios and practice performing a short skit or scene acting out how they would attempt to resolve that conflict in a constructive way. And after each group performs their scene or their skit, you can even encourage the groups to huddle up and discuss the scene. What was causing the conflict? What information did the different people involved need to really understand the other people's perspectives? What misconceptions or assumptions were causing the conflict to escalate? And what would have helped people involved to really understand and empathize with each other? And they can share out, engage in discussion, create a brainstormed list of strategies the participants could have used to avoid the conflict in the first place. So lots of really interesting ways to use role play just to get students thinking about what are some of the conflicts we tend to encounter in school, in classrooms, and what are some creative ways to avoid escalation and to try to resolve those conflicts in a kind, respectful, and constructive way. So again, these are routines and strategies that are really focused on helping develop skills that students need, not just to interact with members of a school community, but just to interact with anybody in a kind and productive way. And developing these relationship skills creates learning communities where students are capable of sharing their ideas, engaging productively in collaborative tasks, and taking academic risks. This year, I've added an Ask Catlin mini episode to each month, and I would love to answer your questions about education, teaching, technology, blended learning, online learning, work-life balance, whatever you are interested in or maybe struggling with, I would be happy to be a resource. I'd love to answer those questions. So you can find me on Twitter at Catlin underscore Tucker or on Instagram at Catlin Tucker. You can also find me now on TikTok where I'm also kind of posting some of those short responses to your questions, but putting them on the podcast will give me more time to be able to address them with some detail and depth. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and join me for my final SEL podcast mini episode, which will be focused on social awareness.